Computing Broadcast, a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, and welcome to the show. So this week's episode is um, maybe something you probably haven't given a lot of thought to, but you absolutely should because that's how this episode came to be. Producer Sarah was staring at a lot of the backs of, of cars, the butts, the boots, as they like to say in the UK. And what do you see when you're stuck in traffic, in Los Angeles traffic of, of all traffic, arguably the worst in the world? You see a lot of license plates. Well, how did these things come to be? They're on every car. Uh, there's vanity plates. There's... Uh, you know, all kinds of commemorative plates. A lot of states take pride in these things. There, there's a huge history that goes on here. And as I looked into this, I found out that this is quite an incredible and extraordinarily interesting topic. M- much to my uh, much to my shock, I'll be perfectly honest with you. And so what do we do? We, we lock down the greatest in- license plate historian, the walking encyclopedia, Jeff Menard, uh, former president of the Automobile License Plate Collectors Association. Let's get right into this because this is amazing stuff. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show today. Now, do you insist on Mr. President? Because you have been president of the Automobile License Plate Collectors Association, and I assume once a president, always a president. Um, do you like oh, Mr. President? Just... What do you like, Jeff? Oh, no, Minnow? just Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just, you, just, just, no, just. You cool if I call you Mr. President? Will that bother you? Well, I was. I'm the past president, like 20 years ago. But you know, I was one of the. I wasn't one of the founders. I'm one of the one of the longest time members. I think I joined when I was about 15 years old, and that was in the 60s, and the club was only a couple years old by then. If my research serves correct, I mean, so this is this is the first. This is the Automotive License Plate Collectors Association. It's the oldest um, group of its kind in the United States, I imagine, probably the world. Uh, Probably the world, yeah. No, no, and thanks for saying automotive, because you've been reading it. That's good. It's not American. Oh, it's automobile? It's not the American license? license plate collectors association. You, you didn't say that. You said it correctly. It's oh, did? automotive license plate collector. Oh, I thought it was Because we're international. We're completely international, and it's not American, and sometimes people throw that in because they naturally do that. Right. As an a. Right. But we're just really clear that it's just the whole world. And, you know, 90% of our members are Americans. Yeah. Well, 80% are Americans, 10% are Canadians, and 10% are the rest of the world. So wow. we are kind of a global thing. No, that's incredible. I mean, a lot of the patriots say American. They don't mean to, but they, you know, just kind of slips yeah, out when you see that. Uh, now, that so this is, this is a pretty incredible organization. I didn't know it existed. So if, if my research serves me, um, serves me well, you the, the club actually started um, when you were six years old, but you didn't join until much later, until you were 15, if I'm correct. Look at you. Is that right? Yeah, you- yeah, you've done your math. Yeah, I've done my homework. And so so you kind of you so you have a three digit number and this is kind of a theme of license plate which pl- license plates which I thought was kind of cool is it's these there's a like a, a gravitas if I may with lower digit numbers <laughs> with with you know earlier versions of license plates with all this stuff. And so you kind of have a little bit of that uh, with the organization because they give out numbers sequentially and your number is 495. And you're, uh, is that the last three-digit number in existence, uh, or, or or one of the last? No, no it's going to be there. Maybe when I live long enough. Yeah. Um. So it's, I think there's two two-digit numbers 
remaining still alive. Two two-digit numbers. Ooh. I think there's a couple still alive. Yeah, I think there's two or three. Uh, maybe there's two. And there's a bunch of three-digit numbers. But see, I was maybe 15. Yeah. Other guys that joined were, you know, 60. Right. <laughs> so there's been a lot of them, but it just depends yeah. on how old you were when you joined. Sure, they kicked There's off a gaggle earlier. of us that joined as teenagers and we're three-digit numbers and we're still around. So we're kind of seen as the elders now. Right, right, the but elders. It's now. just, yeah, but you're right, we do that. But, you know, people have done that anyway, uh-huh. just in the whole issuing of license plates. Mm-hmm. There's this sort of prestige thing about having a low number. And we just naturally did it. We didn't think about it when we got a number. We got the number that we got. Mm-hmm. But only as it was, we got into four and now five digits, we have 12,000 members now. You get into five digits and you go, holy smoke. Right. You know, you, you must have joined in the last century. Well, technically I did. So, <laughs> oh. Right, which is now 18 years, 19 years old now. Um, that, that, it's pretty incredible. And, and the other thing I want to mention, and this is I'm just giving you all the, the, the proper credentials that you deserve because you're also a 2007 Hall of Fame inductee. Um, now, has your life changed since being inducted into the Automobile um, License Plate Association, Collect- Collector's Association Hall of Fame? Do you have a ring? I don't think so. A jacket? No, no, I don't think that's right. No, no it's just a, it's a thing that they started years ago. Uh-huh. And it's just, I guess it's just for guys that contribute to the, to the club. Because if you read that thing, so I've done a lot of work for the club and done a lot of jobs. And we're all free. Nobody, well, a couple people are sort of paid like editors and stuff, but it's just volunteer work. So if you've helped the club out, it doesn't mean you got the best plates or the biggest collection or whatever. It just means you've helped the club out and they picked me. And so there's a bunch of us. There's just about 20 or 25 of us that have done that, but it's a lot of fun. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. It's kind of, it's kind of embarrassing because it's, I mean, I'm proud of it, but you know the way that is. It's just like, well, wait a minute. This is all about me and it's on the internet. Oh, but it's okay. It's yeah. You, you and I have different, different views on that. I love it being all about me and on the internet. Uh, were you a first ballot inductee, or did you come up? Did your name come up a couple times? No, I guess. Boy, I don't know. NFL draft. Yeah. Got to make sure um, you're a first ballot. Inductee. I think. I think no. I was part of the group that chose who the first ballot was going to be because these were guys who had passed. Mm. And I may have been done that the second time, and then I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they put me on the third time. I think that's what it was. I was a third ballot. Third oh time. man, you deserve to be a first time ballot, even though you didn't you didn't kick off. That would have been that's bad because yeah. the first time sounds like more like. Well, a we needed number one and number two to be the first two guys. It was a postmaster yeah. and a uh, another guy. We needed that. We needed those guys to be the first ones. Right. No, that makes sense. Uh, what was the catalyst for your interest in license plates? And I asked that, and not in a condescending way. I, I asked that because well, of course not. It's very. It's just a very unique hobby, and I love unique hobbies. And there's always like you know yeah. some kind of you know inciting incident. You know, there's lots of weird stuff I'm into. I'm not going to go into it right now because this is about you. But, but you know, but I mean, like it comes from something and an experience. So why why license plates? Well, so I guess there's. What, what, what do they say? There's three kinds of people in the world, those who could count and those who can't. Right. Oh, there's a joke there. Sure. there. There's three kinds of people. So yeah. anyway, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's those who collect things and those who don't. Yeah. And you can collect True. anything. You can be a gardener. You can collect baseball cards. You can collect, you know. But so my family back a couple of generations has been collecting stamps and coins. Hmm. Okay. So back generations? So you have like I, generations of yeah. coins and stamps. That's pretty Well, cool. yeah, my grandfather, that kind of stuff. Just yeah, a little yeah. Bit. So, I mean, that's all been kind of sold or traded off, but it's just oh. that sense of assembling 
something, kind of artifacts or something, and you put them together and you get years or you get types or you get whatever it is, and mm. you kind of have a set and you just think like that. People sure. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people don't, but I do. And so, so growing up in upstate New York and stuff and traveling around in the 50s and the 60s with my dad on vacations, you know, license plates change every couple of years or maybe every year. These, year, these days we have stickers, so license plates last for 10 years at a time, but not in the old days when I was a kid. And so they're kind of cool to hang on to. So I'd keep my own. My dad would put them on the garage wall. I'd get them from neighbors. There'd be ones that were older. There'd be ones from the 40s, ones from the 30s. I'd drive around and find them. People would give them to me. I just thought that was really cool. But there was, it was brand new and a little bit unheard of. It wasn't mm-hmm. really weird or, or out of it or like illegal. It is in some countries. It wasn't right. here in the U.S. because we just get rid of them every couple of years. Sure. Unless you're but swapping plates because be you've got like a hot car or something like that and you've got to get a getaway. Then, yeah. then that's illegal. Other different than that, numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there weren't personalized plates when I was a kid. It was just looking at the numbers and, and it's the city or the county you're in or however they were. And it was just kind of cool. I liked it. So I'd trade. And then I got, I was pen pals to a church magazine with people around the U.S. and I'd have a plate and a woman from Wisconsin would have a plate and she'd send me hers and I'd send her mine. And it just got to be this cool thing, but it was very unknown until I was in Syracuse, New York as a kid. And there was a newspaper article in the Sunday paper about this guy in town that had all these license plates. So I asked my dad and my best buddy too, I'm 495 and my best buddy growing up was 496. He was my neighbor (laughs) and he still does it. So dad, can you take us down there? Yeah. We called the guy up. Nicest guy in the world. And he gave us hundreds of license plates. And it's just that way that it works, you know, where you like to help kids start a hobby. And in this case, it's about geography and it's about math and it's about just the world. And it's like stamps and coins. So we thought it was really cool, except that it takes a lot more room than stamps and right. coins. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're, they're pretty big. You know, and it's one of these things, especially living in L.A., it's one of the things you – I mean, the traffic's terrible here. And you're always staring at license plates. It's probably the thing that people in Los Angeles look at more than anything else uh, in the world besides themselves, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. But it, it, people really don't think about it. And again, just a quick side note here, which what's interesting about that is I got to mention this one brilliant thing uh, before I forget. But one of the one of the most ingenious things that car dealerships have done is to give you a car when you buy a car with their border on it, with, like, the branding for the dealership on the border because people rarely take it out. It's like the thing everyone has that no one thinks about, and you're staring at it all the time. You know, I think so that, that's a brilliant thing for dealerships to do. And one of the Yeah, you mean I, that metal... That metal yeah. frame that goes around the license yeah, yeah, plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you can swap it out. Yeah. It's easy. You know, I've given some as gifts. Yeah. But, you know, but the dealers put it on there, and, the, you know, they're entitled to whatever. You can take it off. It's not like it's permanent, but no one ever does. And it's a constant advertisement that everyone's staring at for hours at a time, and they don't realize it. And one of the other things that's, no, that's, that's, that's kind of cool about license plates uh, is that, you know, I always get blown away when I see a Hawaiian license plate in the States. Because it's the only one that, like, you didn't, it didn't drive here. You know, I mean, it had to, I know. whoever moved that car here, they didn't, first of all, they didn't register their car here, which is also odd. So it's an, uh, it's, a, it's an old registered car that has been, you know, manually taken over here on a boat or, you know, helicopter, however they move cars nowadays. Right. 
right. which is kind of crazy. And I don't even know if that's, I guess that's kind of true of Alaska, but Alaska can drive down. But Hawaiian license plates, they always blow my mind. And you still see them around here, Jeff. Why is no. that? Is, it, is, it, is that another piece of that uh, kind of like, you know, gravitas kind of a thing? It might be. It's a, it's a status symbol for yeah. exactly kind of what you say. Yeah. I also think, depending on if somebody's going to drive around the U.S., they want their own vehicle. And actually, if you if you do the numbers, it's almost as cheap as buying a rental car for a month if you're going to have it a long time. So just go ahead and do it. I have a mm. friend who wow. was in Hawaii and yeah. brought his car over here. No, wait, hold, just, what, just for clarification, I, you're saying it's cheaper to, to transport your car here for a month than it would be to rent a car here for a month. If it's a van or something that you're going to live in or something like that. Right. I don't know that it always is. I know that it has been occasionally in the past, depending on your situation. Or sometimes it's just kind of like the ego you're talking about. It's like, I know my car. I like my car. I got the money to do this. I'm going yeah. to drive my car. Makes sense. Okay. It's, it's kind of cool. I have a friend who, who did that. He brought a, actually it was a VW Beetle over from Hawaii. He just did it because he could do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I was with him driving through. I think it was Arkansas. Sorry for the Arkansas people. I'm going to make fun of you. And we pulled up to a gas station. And there was credit card days. The guy writes down the license plate number, and he goes, "He goes, you from Hawaii?" And my friend goes, "Yep. Did you hear? The bridge is finished. I can drive over here now." And he goes, "Martha, did you hear that? The bridge is done to Hawaii. They're all going to come over here now." <laughs> Just, oh I, I love that. That's the fear. It's a state, right? They're a part of the union. They're all going to come right. over that's here right. now. That's, that's what right. they're that's afraid right. of in Arkansas. I know. <laughs> It's terrible. The I know. It's from terrible. California that exactly. could possibly be. Oh, my God. Um, it's good. So now you're talking about license plate frames. You know, yeah. they're illegal in some states because the license plates, the way they are designed, they've got they use the edges. I mean, these days we have them so decorative that uh-huh. states and especially if you have some commemorative thing on the state plate, they don't want it covered up by frames. Hmm. And so there's this cat and mouse game about those frames. But yeah, people do it, and a lot of people I know leave the, especially old guys, leave mm-hmm. the frames on the plates because they think, well, I still get my car serviced there. I think I'll get better, like service, if I leave the frame on the car because they know I bought the car at the same place. <laughs> right. It's like yeah. whatever, whatever floats your boat. But I don't know that that makes any difference. I don't. Just, I okay. don't think so. Uh, but I yeah. love that. I love that mentality, man. Game in the system. I like where his head's at. Um, so let, let's go back to the beginning of license plates. Uh, you know, we're talking. The, this is, I mean, literally at the previous, not the not the most recent turn of the century, the one before that, 1900. From from what I understand, the license plate birthday, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is April 25th, 1901, and that's essentially, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that is the date when New York required license plates on cars. But you would send your money to them, they would issue you a number, and you were required to create your own license plate. Is that correct? Yeah, that's 90% correct. Okay. So you'd send them a buck into Albany. It was literally $1. Yeah, it was. Hmm. And most states started with a buck. California did too. Okay. And, but in those early days, so there, let me just put on my geek hat for a second. You got it. Yeah. So there's two reasons for license plates. One is to pay a tax because because they figured they could tax it, and the money is supposed to go to better roads. It's always for highways and stuff. And the other reason is to keep track of people, because there's getting to be too many cars, and there's accidents, and we don't know who these people are. They run away. So there's collecting the tax, actually was the first thing, and then tracking them and keeping track of them and stuff is the second thing. So New York decided this is a thing we can tax, which is a big kerfuffle, because nobody was taxing anything in those days. But the idea was, all right, um, 
there's so few cars, 1901. I mean, cars were invented in, in the United States in 1896. They were invented in Germany in 1896. There's there some cars in, in some places in Europe. Actually, Europe had plates in the 1890s. A couple places like France and Hungary had plates in the late 1890s. Before Wait, we had, they required license plates in the 1800s. Yeah, in the late 1890s, because they had cars there in 1895, 1896, like Duryea's and stuff. And so they thought of the tax money thing faster than we did. So in New York, though, you're right, April 25th. But the idea was not a number. The idea was put your initials on the plate. Mm, mm, mm. Right, that's right. So go get two initials. Go get three initials, put them on the plate. Well, how long is that going to last before you get duplicates? Like, Like pretty quick. So... That was happening. Well, use three initials. Well, put a number after your initials. Well, you can't have ABC because Joe's got... You, so they figured it out. So in less than a year, and again, cars were expensive. <laughs> cars were by rich people. Rich people live in the cities. So you're talking New York City mostly. Mm-hmm. Maybe a few in Albany because it's the state capital. Right. And it's the same in most every place in the U.S. It's the big cities first. So, and that's where the most cars and stuff are. So then they, they moved it to numbers. They converted everybody from letters to numbers. And then they started with number one. And so a lot of people kind of crabbed about having this thing that was taxed and having this thing that was publicly identifiable. We're more than aware of all that kind of business today. But it got to be this cool thing to have this low number. And that's carried with everybody for a long time. So... Low numbers were cool, but it was how early did you buy your car? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then in New York is the is the first one, and certain pretty much by 1910, every state, almost every state, certainly by 1915, every state required you to to have a license plate, and in a vast majority of all those states, all 50 states, um, you pretty much were asked to go make your own. So get a you could paint it on the back bumper. You could make one on the back bumper. You could have two and put one on the front. You could put it on a leather pad. You could get house numbers because they still had house numbers. You could paint something on a leather pad on a piece of metal. If you belong to an auto club, sometimes they'd make you one as a premium belonging to the auto club because California did that. There's different commercial companies. There were mail order houses. Sears in the early days would make them, and it was part of their catalog. And they'd have these little strips for NEB for Nebraska or NV for Nevada or CAL for California. And you just make up your license plate and put it on your car. But these were not, they weren't but, standardized in any way. So the, the, the size correct. wasn't standardized. No. Did, it have to be, did it have to be like viewable from a certain distance? Anything like yeah, that? Yeah, 30 feet. And, okay. Oh, so yeah, the numbers had to be three okay. feet high, black on white, white on black. Got yeah, it. there okay. were some, some kind of guidelines. Basics. But it was broken all the time. Right. Because there weren't a lot of cops chasing, you know, license Police were on horseback. Right. They weren't chasing license plates and saying, you know, your your numbers are only are, are, are not big enough or something. So it got to be only when there were thousands and thousands of these, and then there were hit and runs and there were all kinds of stuff. And they said, we have to organize this, and the way to do it is to commercially organize it. Well, Massachusetts actually beat everybody because as early as 1903, Massachusetts said, we're not going to deal with these homemade plates. That's just a zoo. Everybody has to have our commercially manufactured state-issued license plate if you've got a car, starting in 1903. So even though other states, all the way up to 10 and 15, in some states as late as 1920, hmm. they were still doing handmade plates, like out in the West because there weren't that many cars. Right. Massachusetts said, all right, we're not going to do this. Everybody's got to get this porcelain enamel. They're heavy-duty, just like bathtub porcelain enamel, you know, square metal plates with these numbers on them. And the plates weren't expensive, but you got to put these on your car, and it's commercially manufactured, 
and there's a system and we're going to, and so it was all done by hand, like a card catalog in a library. You know, these are all, there's obviously no computers. So it's all kept. And there were, so, and there were thousands and thousands of them. So this became an enormous job. The biggest job in any state government was managing the motor vehicles. Right. Well, and let's talk about the So Massachusetts, September 1st, 1903, that's the first time that it's issued by a govern, governing body. Uh, right. and, and the person it was, it was given to, and it, uh, you can fill in the blanks here. I'll give you a cliff notes. You tell me what I get right and wrong. But from what I understand here, Frederick Tudor, um, he, he right. was given, his family was given this license plate. It's still active. They still have the plate. And he was kind of interesting because he was from Brookline, so Brookline, Massachusetts. And he, his, he was nephew. His uncle um, founded the Boston Symphony Orchestra, if I'm correct. And I think okay. he had other connections. Okay. Um, so he was a heavily connected guy. He had the first plate issued. And this kind of became, it was kind of interesting because that seems like it's an early time for plates because they weren't really mass produced until 1916 with the Model T Ford. And, and just so I understand, license plates were not required for horse and buggy which is kind of interesting because there were tons of horse and buggy that were all over the place. So what was the catalyst from horse and buggy to, to cars? Why were cars required, license plates? Well, so the main thing was that, that everybody had horses, and cars were disturbing. They disturbed the horses. They disturbed people. They disturbed children. They muddied up the roads. They, their, their, their ruts of their tires dug in the roads more than the horses' hoofs did. Cars in those days on dirt roads, because there's no pavement, really messed up the roads and they messed up and they annoyed everybody and they were loud and they especially scared the horses. So they had to pay for that. It's like, it's basically disturbing the peace. Mm -hmm. An automobile, if we can even imagine how quiet it was, you had clip clops and that's it. Maybe you had a thousand clip clops, but that's it. We can't even imagine. Now there were trolleys, but only in the big city. So they had to pay and also they had to pay because they, they messed up the roads. And this is also the the years before, well, there's a lot of horse manure that stinks too, but I know what you're saying about exhaust. But this is the years before mufflers, so these were actually extraordinarily loud. That's right, that's Um, right. Now, one other other early license plate I want to talk about, and then we can move along, but this is kind of interesting. So in Wisconsin, the oldest surviving plate is from 1905. It's labeled 32W, and it was issued to a cheese dealer, of course. I'm from Illinois. We call the barrier between (laughs) Illinois and Wisconsin the Great Cheddar Curtain. Uh, which we, we rarely cross. Um, but it went to uh, a guy in Mount Harib, and that's very close to, this is totally unrelated to anything except me, but it's totally, it was really close to the Ho-Chunk Casino, and that was the first place I ever gambled. It's right by the Wisconsin Dells in 1918. Um, it, just random stuff, but it, it was kind of cool to kind of brought back some memories of being a kid. That's where the, the first license plate in Wisconsin was issued. That's kind of cool. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, they just had a W. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Um, That's cool. So now let's talk about these low numbers, okay? Because as we talked, there's there's a little bit of status symbol to these things. Um, what I thought was kind of cool is in some places, so the number one, the first plate was given to the governor. The number two was given to the lieutenant governor. And these were kind of a way to reward both people in power, but also political um, comrades, I should say, you know, uh, like yeah. for political favors, they were giving these away. And, That's right. And you would think, like, okay, it's great you have the status symbol. People can see how cool you are. But cops wouldn't even give tickets to low-numbered license plates because they thought that these people were connected. 
Um, and even as late as 2003 in the home, my home state of Illinois, George Ryan, the corrupt George Ryan, was accused of handing out low-numbered plates uh, for favors. So this is not like a 1901 thing. This is like a 2000, you know, there, this century this is going on. Um, wh- why do you think that is? Is it just is it just something part of our natural part of our psyche or what's going on there? Yeah, it's great stuff. It's just this human nature that we have. We just want to be connected, and we want to have power, and we want to have sort of influential friends. Um, <laughs> you're right. It's just this. So the the early, the lowest numbers, it wasn't right away. It took a few years of the manufactured plates for the number one to go to the governor, the number two to go to the lieutenant governor, number three to speaker of the house. That's what almost states, almost all states did. Eventually. Oh, really? Yeah. But you mentioned the Tudors, and yeah. that's exactly right. Massachusetts number one. Uh-huh. He wasn't a governor. What Mr. Tudor was, was he was the head of the highway department. Ah, so inside. It's, it's the highway guys and the transportation guys and the auto guys that got the low-numbered plates because mm. they, that was their business. That was their trade, was, was cars or highways or trolleys or trailers or transportation or, or railroads. That was their business. It wasn't really government. The government kind of didn't care. Government got the money, but they didn't care about a low-numbered. A lot of government people didn't care about a low-numbered um, license plate any more than you'd care if your passport had a low number to it or your credit card. Mm-hmm. It's just this thing. But it kind of caught on because people started paying attention. So the Tudor family got this number one. Right? How cool is that? Well, who's he? Well, he's just the head of the highway department. So what? So it got to be this thing. And it's still true. I've actually there. Um, most states did this. Now, I have to say, there's a real difference between the east and the west of the United States here. Mm-hmm. And on. it's a real difference between cities and, the, and, and countryside. Mm-hmm. So in New York and Chicago, it's a big deal, and some other places, too, where a low number is Washington, D.C., where low numbers really mean something, especially Washington. Right. So, <laughs> right. And even today, in Washington, D.C., the first 1,250 numbers are controlled. Wait, you sorry, have to wait, hold on, somebody. Hold on. In Washington, D.C., the first 1,250? That's right. The first 1,250 are wow. controlled. You have to be somebody, <laughs> or you've got 100 years of history, because those numbers are hereditary. They're hereditary. Like they handed down like now, in wills and stuff like that. Big, oh yeah, oh big time. <laughs> now, so who's the last number that, one? Uh, I don't know. I think it's the mayor. The either well, it's not the mayor of D.C. anymore. It's it's whoever it is. It's probably Joe Dokes. It's whoever is related to whoever got it. Wow. Um, okay, that's crazy. So the whoever it was then, related to when it was given out still has number one, even though they may not be. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And sometimes they give them up. Sometimes, well, and and. What I'm going to get to is occasionally they're privately sold, but I'm not supposed to say that. Well, actually, oh, wow. I can say that, right. but, but states will always deny it because actually states don't have anything to do with it, with one exception, uh-huh. the state of Delaware. The state of Delaware has always done this. Delaware has always been a little bit different. Uh-huh. Delaware, for most of its life, has only numeric license plates. So let's just be geeks for a second. Okay. Most license plates these days have numbers and letters on them. Alphanumeric so is what we're, if you want to be real geeky. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um. But there's a few states like um, Rhode Island. They've, they've added letters because they could, but they have had only numbers for a long time. Mm-hmm. And Delaware still has only numbers. Now they have they have some cars with PC and some other letters on them, but that means different types of vehicles. It does not a straight numeric. But automobiles in Delaware are just numbers, and um, all their plates are just numbers. And those numbers are valuable numbers. And if you have a number that's a four-digit number or a three-digit number or a two-digit number, it's worth money. Hmm. And the state of Delaware is the only state, I could be wrong on that because I think Rhode Island does it a little bit, 
The state of Delaware auctions their low-numbered license plates if they get turned in, and they get thousands and thousands of dollars for them. On top of the right to carry it on your car, it's just almost like a, a, a transfer fee. It's, it's, you're paying for the right to have the number, and then you have the number. <laughs> so Delaware is the only one that does that. When you say now, auction, other, like, like you, you go to an auction that gets like, like an Abadab, no good take auction one. Yeah, the D, oh, yeah, the DMV runs an auction. Wow. It's advertised. But not only Delaware, and, you know, so they can't be privately sold, so this doesn't happen. In, it's only that's Delaware. That's right. But okay. you know it does. I mean, people are going to do what they're going to do. Right, right. And, but but, but that Delaware publicly says, why not make, why not let the state get a piece of this? Right. So <laughs> in, Rhode Island, Island, in Rhode Island, low numbers are controlled, and mm-hmm. I forget what the cutoff is. Um, and in Chicago, in New York, uh, in Illinois, absolutely they're controlled. And I forget what the cutoff is there. It's in the 2000s. Um, any number, any of these other, any of these states, mm-hmm. numbers even that are four-digit numbers are not easy to get. You can't just walk up and get them. You have to talk to somebody. If you want a four-digit number, like eight six nine three, which is kind of boring, mm-hmm. you could probably in Illinois, you could probably call somebody and get whatever's unavail, whatever's available, whatever's unissued. You can't get a three-digit number unless you have a local congressman or representative um, make a call for you. <laughs> But it's all like of this whole is still true. World. It's like it's like there's this whole. It's big, true. I mean, it's crazy. You wouldn't even know. And it's different. In, it's exists. different in different states. Uh-huh. And I'm not. And I I kind of respect it in a weird way. Sure. It's just the way it is because governments make a certain amount of money from this. Individuals do too. It's just a piece of this sort of status. And governments like Massachusetts have had a real problem with this because governors have come in, like when Governor Dukakis came in. He was going to eliminate that program because the people eliminate the favoritism behind it because a lot of people before him were really abusing it, I guess. Although his and then one of his guys ended up doing the same thing, but he didn't. And so it's a really difficult thing to be a governor, for example, and bring in administrators in your motor vehicle department that are going to respect this because somebody is always going to gain something by having a low number to give away. Mm-hmm. And there's always low numbers that suddenly are orphans. Somebody dies, nobody wants it, or everybody wants it, and it goes back to the state because there's no kids or something like that. That happens in all of these situations. One of the biggest differences is in California. So I'm kind of make a distinguish between the East and the West. Mm-hmm. In California, there's lots of low digital numbers, no letters, but they're all vanity plates. Mm. There's not, they're not issued. In all these Eastern states, they're issued as numbers. California, not since the 20s, has had just pure numbers issued. We've always had letters and numbers. But starting when we did vanity plates in California in 1970, they said, yeah, you can have numbers. You can't have number one through 10. Yeah, you can't have number one through nine. You can start with two digits. So the lowest California numbered vanity is number 10. But you can have just pure numbers because I had them many times in many years in California. I had, I had two-digit numbers or three-digit numbers. And if I would drive around the U.S., you know, everybody left me alone. That's amazing. <laughs> it looked like a hot shot. Right. Yeah. Wow. And it's and it's funny because you know vanity plates, as you're talking about, th- that didn't really start until 1931. It's amazing it took till 1970 for California to get it, but Pennsylvania was the first to do it in 1931, and that had Actually, to have been. Is that, is that wrong? Yeah, that article isn't correct. Oh, what's he's the, a friend of mine. Oh, it's it. It actually, and I, I he was going to rewrite that. That's my well, he should have. It made me look like an idiot. You call him out. Tell him he's fired. No, no, no. I've told him, and he, it's, it's Rick Retchmer's site. He's a great oh, guy. Rick Retchmer. Rick Retchmer. It, it's Rick. Oh, Rick. Um, 1931 was, was when Pennsylvania started. It's not when the U.S. started. 
Right. Well, that's what I so, said. I said when Pen- well, that's what it says when Pennsylvania. State. Okay. There's. Yeah. But that's kind of the, it's uh, the well, first one in the U.S., right? It's kind of no, it's actually not. So. Oh, it isn't. So, yeah. So let's. So the whole thing about personalized plates. Yeah, the Pennsylvania 31 thing actually doesn't count at all. That's 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 just skip that. That comes from a long story of somebody that was misquoted once. Um, so what happened is, so with personalized plates, that's the other thing where everybody can't get a low number. But what people have tried to do, if you can't get a low number, then what kind of low number can you get? What kind of something can you get? So, so I, we mentioned that in 1901 in New York, you put your initials on your plate. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like a vanity plate in a way, because you could choose them as long as they weren't taken. It's like, it's yeah, a so that's vanity pretty plate. rare and pretty unusual, and it's homemade, and nobody yeah. knows about it, because right. you can't really consider those vanities, but right. it's they <laughs> right. were. So once you got these mass-produced um, license plates, like New York was the first state to have a million automobiles. That was 1923. California had a million automobiles in 1924. That's, that's a million license plates, or if you have two license plates, that's two million license plates. That's too many to even deal with. So um, people would look for special numbers. They want them ending in two zeros, or they want a bunch of sevens, or all that stuff. So people were doing that kind of stuff. They were going to the lines and asking what's the next number and what's at the top of the box and what's at the bottom of the box and just kind of geeking around like that. Because also, in all of these days, until the 70s, all license plates for almost every state expired at the end of December. It's the calendar year, which means December and January are just a massacre at DMV offices because everybody's got to get registered. Today, we don't have any of that. Today, it's staggered, they call it, which means every month, a twelfth of the people expire and a twelfth of the people get new plates or get renewal stickers or something. But in the old days, it was a zoo. Hmm. So people were hanging out trying to get these funny numbers, trying to get all fives, trying to get their house number, whatever it was, and it just became a real zoo. So what they did was a lot of states did just generally what we call prestige plates. If you're somebody, you're a hotshot, and maybe you donated to the governor, to the senator, or maybe whatever, he will call ahead or somebody will call ahead and, and somebody will, will do you a favor. They'll go to a box that's got your initials on it and it's not from your county, but we'll find your initials on it and we'll give you number one from that box. And it's from 300 miles across the state, but we'll take care of you. So people were taking care of their friends still for financial contributions for public office because there's always public officials. Almost always. Right. And they were just taking, so they're prestige plates. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really belong. It's got the guy's number on it. It's whatever. But they're just a lot of fooling around for all this kind of stuff. So still, those are not really personalized plates. What I define personalized plates are is you or I, just a regular John Q. citizen, can mm-hmm. walk up to a counter and get a plate and ask for your name on it. I mean, it might be taken, but you're permitted to go up and get something you want to get just as John Q. citizen. You don't have to be somebody. You don't have to know somebody. You don't have to pay any money. You're just that average John Q. citizen. You can walk up and do that. That's what we consider personalized plates. And those started actually in New Hampshire in 1957, as okay. late as 1957. Got it. Now, there were lots of earlier ones, but they're prestige plates. They're I know somebody. It's all of this other stuff. Or else you had to belong. If you belonged to certain organizations, they would help you get plates from the state. So, But it wasn't just a citizen. You had to have some sort of membership somewhere. 
Got it. That's the, that's the real difference. Okay, that's that's an important, a very important distinction. So the average public, because in that article, that misquoted article, it says that it was kind of like a benefit to having a good driving record is you got to choose what you wanted. Um, I don't know if that's still true with the first ones. That's but... actually true. That's one of the special things. In okay. Connecticut, starting in the late 30s, now Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut, is the center of most of the insurance companies in the United States. That's a huge thing that the state of Connecticut has is they're the, they're the home base of an awful lot of insurance companies like the Hartford which is in the city of Hartford, funny thing. Hmm. And so what they decided was with this kind of pent-up demand in the public to have some recognition on motor vehicles, these special license plates, because Connecticut just had numbers. If you got, people wanted letters, because they weren't, but they weren't making letters. They were only making numbers. So it turns out if you had a safe driving record for five years, not a single ticket, starting in Connecticut, and we know it started in 1941, we think it probably started as early as 1936. But if you had a safe driving record, this is all before World War II, for five years, they would let you have any set of two or three letters that you wanted, and they just let you have it. And so when you drove around with your initials on your 1941 Connecticut license plate, that was pretty cool. Because everybody knew it means you qualified as a safe driver for five years, and you're proud of it, and you're going to show it right on your automobile. So there's a safe driver before you in the in, uh, driving on the highway. And that worked out really well. People really wanted them. And the driving records all cleaned up because that was a public recognition. In those mm-hmm. days, you know, that was a meaningful thing. It was right. a public recognition of a good safe driver. And that's the beginning kind of of these vanity plates. But you still had to earn it. But it was kind of a, it was a good thing. It was being a good citizen. You were a good safe driver. And they kept that up for many years. Yeah, it's a great system. You know, it's funny because I remember... This is such a strange memory, but this is the only time I'll ever be able to share this memory probably in my life. But I remember <laughs> the first vanity plate that I ever saw, and it was it was a band vanity plate. And I remember someone it was in like a it was in like a high school class or something like that. I think it was in like um, probably driver's ed or something. And they were talking about vanity plates, and they said and they flashed it on the screen, and it uh, the license plate was uh, B G O O D E D. And we're looking at it like we don't know what this means, and they were like why is this a band license plate? And it's because it's good in bed. So it's the word bed. And you oh, put I good see. In the, yeah. I see. And so I thought it was hilarious. And it's funny because then that was, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was a banned license plate. And, and it, was, it was funny that, that the government actually had all these kind of strange rules and things you couldn't say. And even like hidden meanings like that, like that they have to weed through. So it's not just yeah, anyone yeah. can do anything. Um, but it's you know it's it's one yeah. of those things where it was still kind of you can still do some have some fun you know fun with it. Yeah, it's true, and and it's all kinds of and foreign languages. Mm-hmm. They'll spell words out in a language you don't know. But sure. if, what if it's Czech or something? It's not just German. So they would have. I mean, California still does. Most states have got it because California, I just say, because they have the most license plates and so they have the most personalized vanity plates. That is true, and they have nuns and clergy and engineers and scientists and philosophers and linguists and everybody looking on a committee that kind of on a voluntary basis looks through these applicants and decides, you know, what's wrong with this list? What can you find out? And stuff goes by. Yeah. And sometimes what gets by is, is stuff that, um, there was one, so I'll just, I'll just say it this way. Literally there was a, I think he was Ty, a guy who lived in California and his last name was spelled J A P. Mm-hmm. And he wanted that on a license plate. Uh, well, they wouldn't allow it for obvious reasons. But sure. he said, that's my name. So, all right, but, you know, you're just, we're not going to allow that for obvious reasons. And he goes, yeah, but I think it's my right. He took it to court and he lost. 
Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of honest disagreements about this because, mm-hmm. well, hey, you know, but no, it's the greater public good is we're not going to allow that on the road. So it's just an interesting situation where people kind of argue back and forth. And there have been some pretty X-rated ones that have gotten on the highways because nobody picked it up. But then, you know, somebody will pick it up and report it in and then they'll take it away. It's <laughs> it's just kind of a game people play, you know. Yeah, like good and bad. I'm sure that that's like PG-13. It's not really, you know, rated yeah, R. That's right. That's right. Um, but that's I'm right. sure someone called it in. So there's a group of people, like a clandestine organization that goes through the the, the suggested or, requ- or requested vanity plates and decides what gets in and what doesn't? Well, I don't know about clandestine. They're open. I don't know who they are, but I mean, every state exactly. has got a few people they call. You don't know who they are. It's just, it's just people. Right. Yeah, they're okay. Okay. <laughs> it's just people that they ask. Sure. Like, what do you think about this? But there are, but they have these groups. They have these like public groups that, that go through the list. That's kind of of all different walks yeah, so of life. Yeah, that's a focus group. Make, uh, yeah, it's kind of a focus group of some kind. Yeah. Huh, that's really cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Um, and it's funny because I think, if memory serves me correctly, I've always wanted Funk Lord. That's always been my, my online handle for, for years since the internet. And I always wanted that as a license plate. It's eight letters, but, you know, instead of L-O-R-D, I put L-R-D. And I am pretty sure, okay. if memory serves me correctly, I remember I was driving maybe like two or three years ago, and I think someone had that license plate, which was both really cool to see it on the road. I think I have a picture. I'll put it on the website uh, if, I, uh. if I do find the picture. It was both uh. both disheartening, um, but also like kind of cool to see someone have like my license plate, that my vanity plate that I thought no one would ever want. Um, yeah, I imagine that that happens a lot where people think that what they have is such a, this great secret idea and every, someone else has got it. I mean, it has to happen all the time. Yeah, and you can go online in most states and type it in and see if it's available or not. Oh, that's, and it's annoying that's when it's not. Huh? Yeah, most lights have they have websites and you can tell. Oh, that's a, yeah. that makes perfect sense. That way you're not wasting your your insurance money or your uh, not insurance money. That way you're not wasting your um, your application fee yeah. or whatever. Uh, yeah, you're not standing in line there. Yeah. Now, one of the things I want to talk about. Um, is and this is this is was kind of interesting to me because I think I've I've heard this is a rumor but I didn't realize that it's actually true. But when it comes to license plates, it's one of the few things that I think are almost entirely produced in our prison system. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And that started yeah, in nineteen twenty. A, a little bit later, it started in a depression. Okay, because governments so prisons are used as factories in lots of states to make stuff not just license plates, but license plates were perfect because it's a thing that states have to make. So instead of hiring a company, let's just do it. In the beginning, license plates were made by sign manufacturers. And then by the stamped steel ones, we had the porcelain ones and then the embossed steel ones starting around World War One, because there's lots of use of manufacturing steel and stamping. Mm-hmm. And so it was still private companies, but it wasn't really until the Depression that states were broke. And they said, well, let's, let's turn our prisons into factories. So, and pretty much now, about, uh, I guess about 40 of the 50 states have their plates made in prison, but not every state has a prison that does that. There's about 10 states that are the main states that make, that are the main prisons that make plates for other states. Hmm. So a lot of state prisons are the manufacturing houses, basically the brokers for other states' license plates. And there's still a few private companies. In Canada, they're made by a couple of private companies, and the U.S. has three or four private companies. Um, and the U.S. makes a lot of license plates for Mexico, too. They make, they, And they basically, they don't make always the plates, like 3M. They don't make license plates at Minifilar Mining and Manufacturing, 3M. But they provide all the sheeting, and they ship sheeting, and they ship the metal to places. And then on the local prison, it's stamped into the license plates. Got it. Because I think in, in one article I was reading that Folsom Prison, 
um, is a pretty big producer of license plates. And they were actually using some of the original equipment from 1947. Uh, yeah. And they, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine license plate manufacturing has changed that much since then. Uh, but although 1947 is an interesting year because I imagine if this started in the Depression, the World War II years must have been very strange for license plates. Um, what were they using instead of sheet metal during that? Yeah, exactly. That's a big problem because you needed steel hmm. and they needed aluminum and they needed everything. So a lot of states um, had cardboard plates. Cardboard? Some had aluminum. Yeah, some of them had cardboard, huh. like aluminum, like Illinois for one, from 43 all the way to 48 because they kept it going. But see, it wasn't strictly cardboard. About 15 states did this for at least one year. The worst or the toughest year for steel was 1944 and 1943. Remember, I don't know if you know, pe- pennies, mm-hmm. American penny was made out of steel in 1943. The old wheat pennies it. and the steel. It was like steel and steel, silver. But they were made, made out of steel because we yeah. didn't even have copper. Right. Copper was used for bullets and all that. So license plates in a lot of states were made out of some sort of cardboard or fiberboard. In Illinois, it was a soybean manufacturing kind of. It was the refuse left over from soybean um, harvesting because hmm. you've got all of that fiber. Right. And that's just like cardboard. Cardboard is from trees, but you can use plants and you can use any kind of stuff from the fields. In Louisiana, there's a thing called bagasse, which is the leftover fibers from sugarcane. So states use different fiber material from whatever their agricultural crops were, and they harvested it all, and they turned it into cardboard, and they made their license plates out of it. And they lasted for a couple of years, and it, it, it then they kept it up because it was cheap. <laughs> yeah, I, I just can't believe they would even withstand the rigors of, like, constant driving. That's I mean, that's so crazy to me. What if it rains? Yeah. But there wasn't a lot of freeways, you know. Actually, the biggest problem in those places was if you were on the farm, because we were mostly farmers, is the cows. There's pictures of cows that would eat the license plates off the car. Hmm. I guess that, yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's, yeah, it's so, I mean, look, I'm an an environmental guy. Like, I like the idea of using cardboard and biodegradable materials on license plates. I think it's a great idea. I just, I'm just surprised that they were able to manufacture something that would even last a calendar year. Yeah, I can. And even Alaska. Alaska had cardboard license plates for about five years. You're going, Alaska? How can it? But it's frozen. Okay, it's wet. Uh, was, they were kind of baked. They were, it's hard. It's really hard cardboard. It's like masonite. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. It worked. It's a lot cheaper and a lot more economical hmm. and a lot more ecological than steel is. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, people are thinking about things like that now, but not really because, well, they're just not. So, <laughs> so... <laughs> But aluminum came in after the war because aluminum was kind of really useful World War II. Mm-hmm. It became it became a, kind of the standard kind of go-to for license plates in the U.S. and Canada after World War II. So a lot of late 40s and early 50s plates were made out of aluminum. Hmm. Now, as, as a collector, are, are these do people still have these cardboard plates? I mean, are, are these kind of like a sought-after oh, yeah. time? In, uh, yeah, in you the... can find them on eBay. Yeah, you can oh. find them on eBay. Wow. They're worth 20 30 40 bucks. They're worth a little bit more than steel ones because they do deteriorate, obviously. Right. Yeah. But they're fine. They're very cool. Now, one of the things, when I talk to collectors, and I'm a collector myself, I love knowing, like, in the collection, in that world, what are the things that are valued? And so from if I'm understanding this correctly, you're obviously going to know this. This is probably different than, than you know, this, this is the type of stuff that gets updated all the time and changes constantly. But what are the rarest plates? What are the plates that people are really trying to get that are impossible to get their hands on? From my research, it was the 1913 Mississippi and 1921 Alaska. Is that still true? If so, why? Yeah, it's true because of quantity. 
Okay. So how many cars were there in Alaska in 1921? I mean, it wasn't until World War II that any roads actually left Alaska from Juneau. They'd connect mm. out to um, to uh, British Columbia. So the only way to drive in Alaska was to take a boat up there and get in a car in Alaska. All the roads were inside the state. How many cars were there in 1921? Well, there were about 200. And they had license plates because they wanted to collect tax money. Mm. So they're really, really rare. There's about Four 1921 Alaska plates known. There's actually only about three 1922 Alaska plates known, <laughs> and they're worth over ten thousand dollars. They're worth an enormous amount of money. Right. What about and what about so, Mississippi in 1913? Mississippi is hilarious because when I was talking about how we weren't used to having so this thing that you had to pay a tax to run. Mm-hmm. So Mississippi in 1911 was the first license plate, and it was an uproar. They can't tax this. It's unconstitutional. How can the state or the federal government require, it wasn't, it was the state, mm-hmm. um, require me to pay a tax? It, they were thinking about it like a horse and buggy. Right. It's like, I just bought this machine. It's like buying a bicycle. Right. I just bought this machine. <laughs> I just bought this buggy. I hitch it up to my horse. Sure. Who do you think you are, state, having me pay money, what, to drive my buggy? This right. is just an automated buggy that I put this gas in. And so the state actually rendered it unconstitutional to have license plates in 1911 in Mississippi. But that was reversed because it went to the Supreme Court the next year. So in 1912, license plates came back. So it turns out that 1911 and the were 1912 Mississippi license plates are just scorchingly rare because everybody trashed them because they were unconstitutional. <laughs> wow. So there's why, a couple around. So why 1913 though? Because that seems to be they would be that would be the year that they would have more plentiful versions. It seems like 1911, 1912. It's true. That makes sense. It's true. No, it's true. And then 1913 is the first year that kind of lasted because then they were on. But there's still you know three and a half cars in Mississippi that weren't. There's still so few cars. Right. Right. So, right. So, and 1914 and 15 people kind of stopped at 13. But all those plates are worth thousands of dollars. There's just hardly any of them. It's even true for other states like. New Mexico, mm-hmm. their first plates were in 1912. There's, they're very rare. They're worth thousands of dollars. And Arizona, first plates are 1914. They're very rare. The rarest and most valuable license plates can be the state-manufactured ones because they're embossed and they're steel or they're copper and they're nice-looking. But it's the handmade ones that are the rarest, the leather ones and uh-huh. the tin ones right. and the goofy handmade ones. Those right. are still around. You won't find them in antique shops anymore. Yeah, I don't except maybe rarely you might bump into one. But you see them around, and those are really cool. They're kind of getting faked these days because mm-hmm. sometimes they're worth thousands of dollars, and you can you can find some old leather and old numbers. You can kind of fake them up. But collectors who know what they're looking at can tell. And um, they're really cool. A lot of people really want those. They're really valuable to have those. those old they sound pretty plates. cool, the old DIY uh, license plate. Now, you have quite a collection yourself. Um, what What's your pride and joy in, in, in your collection? Well, I used to. I've sold a lot off. Um, but I was collecting, so I was in California. I was collecting as many of the legislators as I could and as many of the governor's plates as I could. Like so California was one of those, yeah, one of those, one of those states uh-huh. where the governor would get number one. Actually, in the first... In, 19, in 1914, the first California uh, manufactured year, number one went to the Studebaker company. Again, I said the, the car guys always got the, the right. prestige. Right. In 1915, it went to the governor's wife. It didn't go to the governor. It went to his wife. And only it was in 1916 that number one finally went to the governor. Um, <laughs> now, my first governor's plate was 1929, but I had four or five or six 
1938. I had governor's plates with just number one on them. Wow. And I would get them. I got one at a swap meet in San Francisco from the grandson of the governor's chauffeur <laughs> who had it in his family. And he well, sold it to that? me. That's crazy. And it's that kind of thing. It's yeah. like, oh, here, I got something special. Or from somebody who knew somebody, and it's almost always the chauffeur. It's pretty interesting. Hmm. If it's the governor's family, they're going to keep it. But if it's the chauffeur, it's like, I want to sell this for as much money as I can. Sure, yeah. I'm yeah. give it to him. Right. Um, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. Now, do you have any from, because, you know, this is a global organization. Obviously, cars are global. I imagine it's got to be kind of fun to have license plates from countries that don't exist anymore. You know, like a USSR license plate or, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any of those, or are those rare? Do people look out for those? No, they do. I don't have any anymore, but I have had, like Belgian Congo had a big rebellions in the 60s. Yeah. And there's some of those license plates. Katanga Republic was one of the ones that broke off. It listed about a year. Those <laughs> yeah. plates are worth a scorching amount. There's another one called Sud Kasai, which is another province of Belgian Congo. It lasted for six months. Yeah. It was a railroad car that was found in the 70s. It was full of them. Yeah. They were all burned oh, and they wow. were all destroyed and they were all recycled except for one pair. I got one of those plates. Wait, what? Are you serious? And it's worth a scorching amount of money, and I traded it to a collector. Wow. So there's these cool stories, like missionaries find them and soldiers find them. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff. So Italy attacked Ethiopia during World War II. They occupied Ethiopia. And for a couple of years, there are hand-painted Italian plates from Ethiopia that have the Italian flag hand-painted on them, and they have... Uh, what is it, Italian-occupied Africa, in Italian and in Amharic, the Ethiopian language, <laughs> painted onto them. And there's like four of them known, and they're worth a scorching amount of money. Wow. But here's a three-year piece of world history. Yeah, yeah. That I've people had, know about I had a, it, I mean, right? Like you, they do, were... and it's part of history. I love yeah. it because it's like you're touching a physical part of of Ameri- of world history right. that was important in the war is this this helped settle the world we have today right. and you're touching this artifact that proves that this thing actually happened <laughs> right. whatever this thing is <laughs> yeah. it's the coolest thing wow so i love that kind of stuff yeah it's just great stuff that's amazing um i've i've had there's a lot of japanese military plates around the pacific that were found when the japanese occupied a lot of those islands in world uh-huh. war 2 right Makes sense. well there's a one only so I had a cousin who worked in China for a while, and she found one of those in China in a city. And it's the only known Japanese royal military license plate found in China. Wow. And it was the only one known, because the rest of them were found in the Pacific Islands. Right. So it's pretty interesting to have these, and it's military or it's warfare or it's occupations or it's territory. Right. But it's just interesting to have these little bits of something that you know, that were there for a period of time. Anyway, you're right. The, the world history is really cool. It really is. And, and I imagine there's got to be places, like even city, like Vatican City, I imagine, getting a license plate from Vatican yeah. City has got to be one of those, you know, exactly. um, those things that's kind of difficult to get. Are, are, is that is it, is it similar? Is that like one that people are trying to get a hold no, of? No, that's true. That's like true. The Pultmobile so, uh, C- license Yeah, plate? If, they, if it has CV on it, which is City Vaticano, I can't pronounce it exactly, that's what the Cardinals have. Yeah. And... But SC, Stati City San Vaticano, SCV, is the fleet of cars that's owned by the Pope. And there's a couple of hundred of them because it's his basic water motor pool. Yeah. And it's cool because collectors, even non-collectors, just tourists, want to get one of those plates. They're impossible to get. But right. Do you have it's one? It's just amazing. No, I don't. No. no. I once did, but I don't anymore. Oh, you and did And there's other one. little things. Yeah, I did have one. I did have a pair. I matched a pair of them once. Wow. 
There's a thing called the Sovereign Military Order of Malta, S-M-O-M. I love it already, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a military branch of kind of royal guards that uh-huh. the Pope has had for a thousand years. And they have their own little fleet of cars, and they have little S-M-O-M license plates on them. And they're actually rarer than Vatican City plates. No kidding. And there's two or there's two or three in collections in Europe. Wow. So it's just, yeah, it's just it's just incredible. That is, and um, I imagine there's got to be guys who focus on certain things. Like in the United States, obviously every state has different ones. There's different slogans, different pictures, you know, whatever. But imagine if there, there's, you know, European collectors or world collectors have these little these little things you're talking about. These two year wars or third, you know, six month occupations. Right. You know, exactly. like th- that's there's that is so yeah. fun to have. Like these strange odd, you know, that that would be me. No. I would want those odd little collections. You know. Oh, you're right. Exactly. Like Danzig was this province in Poland that was occupied during the war when it had its own independence for a couple of years. And there's yeah. the Danzig plates are really rare. Yeah. There's other weird things. Um, let me just mention there's a couple of weird things that happen where there's been kind of episodes in the manufacturing of plates. Like there was a there was a prison riot in um, in uh, Oklahoma in 1974, mm-hmm. and they stopped making the license plates. They couldn't make them, and so 1974 Oklahoma plates. Some of them were made in Oklahoma before the riot, but some of them were farmed out to um, Illinois and um, and to Ohio. And Ohio actually had their own prison. They had a fire in their own prison. It wasn't a riot in 1967. And they had their plates made in New York and Arkansas and Nebraska. So they've kind of farmed them out because they had to get rid of them. Hmm. It's kind of – it's they had to have other states make them. Um, it's, just, it's just kind of weird. In 19 um, – in 1973, Wyoming license plates came out, and they started to flake, and the paint was coming off, and it was really unusual because they'd never had this problem before until they, the, the people complained back to the prison, and the prison said, well, you paroled the head baker that baked the plates in the oven. Right. He got paroled last year. And he's the only guy who knew how to do this, right? Right. Oh, that we is paroled amazing. him? Yeah, he was there for 20, 30 years for whatever, and he was paroled. And he never taught anybody how to do it right, and so wow. the plates came out badly. said, we got to find this guy. So what are you going to do? They find the guy. They hired him. And I don't have the details, but from yeah. my understanding, they found him. And as a contractor, they brought him back to do the next year's plates and to teach some inmates how to do them as well as he was doing them when he was incarcerated in the prison. I'm actually glad. I thought that story was going to say they they got him on some trumped up charges, put him back in jail, and put him back in no, charge of no. the license plate. Uh, that's what yours is a much better story. That's, that's... They had to swallow their pride and say, you know, we we uh, and actually yeah, that they we we need you to come back and help us out here. That is crazy. That's pretty funny. Well, we're running out yeah. of time here. Do you have ten minutes to talk about? I've got some. Uh, there's some funny stories I want you to recount. Um, some vanity plate stories that I think would be fun. Do you have ten minutes for a bonus episode? Yeah, no, let's go ahead. That's fine. Okay, great. Uh, so this is this is incredible. I, I mean, I th- I really think there, there's so much more to license plates than I think people really understand. Um, you know, the the automobile uh, license plate collectors association is a great place to learn. You're the guy. You're the in- walking encyclopedia. And we talked about your credentials earlier. How can people get in touch with you and learn a little bit more about this? Oh well, um, so it's probably on the internet. You could actually email me at Jeff M. So JEFFM495, can I give an email? Yeah, if you, would, yeah, you want the people getting in touch with you. Oh, well, it's a okay. Gmail. So it's JeffM495, because 495 is my club number. <laughs> right. JeffM495 at gmail.com, Gmail. Okay. 
Um, um, and you can do that, but you can go to the ALPCA.org. That's our website and how to join. And there's a lot of stuff there too. Great. ALPCA.org is our website because we're a nonprofit. And there's pages actually for Texas plates in California, a lot of states, a lot of international. There's a lot of license plate collectors and information and stuff on Facebook. But I don't think any of the other media sites have got much going on. Well, I'll put up the club's Facebook, the website. I'll put that all up on on, on my website so people can link to it pretty easily. Uh, this is incredibly stuff, surprisingly fascinating, uh, the history of license plates. Jeff Menard, not from Menard's, the hardware store, but a much better license plate god, the walking encyclopedia. Uh, Mr. President, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. This is fun. <laughs> thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Go to FascinatingNouns.com to check out more about this show. There are tons of great pictures on our Pinterest page. Uh, we got all the license plates, the rare ones we talked about. It's incredible stuff. You can also follow the show's Twitter Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube pages all at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. You can search for past guests. Every episode is available. Check it out. And if you like this show, you'll like everything that I do, go to DanielJGlenn.com to check out all of my other projects, including the latest podcast, Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies, where I take a panel of experts and we analyze how to make our favorite pop culture technology in real life. We got battle mechs, we got portable holes, we got the T-1000, all that kind of stuff. Go to FGGGBT.com. That's FGGGBT.com. One more time, FGGGBT.com to check it out. And I want to thank you for listening. End of transmission. Thank you.